my gosh, I'm all... What's happening here? You're good. You're good now. Just keep going. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. I think you dropped this. I didn't drop that. You definitely... I'm pretty sure you did. I'll hold on to it later. Well, hey, we are so glad you were here. I'm sorry that Chris screwed up the first part of the morning. And so uh, we are so glad you're here. Let me give you two really important uh, announcements that are coming up on the... The radar. I think this is the 20th of September, so we have about 10 more days before uh, we completely get rid of our old giving application and move to the. Uh, we've been transitioning the last couple two months for uh, the giving platform. So if you are giving on Simple Give, um, you need to start making the transition. And so there's that one. Uh, and then more importantly, uh, beginning October the 7th, we are. Uh, going to be launching into our uh, small group uh, format that we typically do in September. And so uh, we would love to give you more information about that. We would love for you to sign up for that. Uh, the way you can do that is really in two different ways. Uh, you can go to merge.com slash connect uh, and just say, hey, I'm interested in small groups. Or you can go on our church center app uh, and you can click and email whoever you need to in those groups. There's a way of searching uh, the groups that we have available, which is right now uh, we have our monthly men's breakfast, and then we have our adults uh, merge group that will be starting up, and then our student groups that will be starting up uh, at the same time. So if you go to the Church Center app, uh, and you get all that information. And so, uh, but those are those are launching October the 7th, and we are, uh, we're excited because we don't like just to get to see you guys on Sundays. And so uh, it's hard for us to really do life together uh, when you only see each other uh, in passing or uh, on the live stream. And so if you have any questions about that, come find me uh, or go find uh, Mark. I'll give you a warning. I'm much more pleasant than Mark is. He's not very much fun at all. And so uh, with that being said, before we get the chance to lift out the name of Jesus, let's take a moment. Let's stand to our feet. Let's wave at some people. Let's shake some hands. Say, it's good to see you.
God, I pray that it would be our desire to know your name, not just to hear of your name, not just to read of your name, but, Father, to desperately know your name, to know your will, to know of your truths, of your promises, 
to know that you gave the world your only son for us. You took our place. You took our place knowing he'd be crucified. And as an undeserving, as undeserving as we are, you love us anyway. How can our hearts not sing with a passion? How can our hearts not have a desperation to want to meet with you right here, right now? To know your name in all that we do. To chase after you our refuge from the storm. We love you, Father. We praise you in this place. Pray that we would come to the end of ourselves the desire to know you more. In your son's name we pray, we ask these things. Amen. Your precious blood Jesus Christ redeems forgiving I'm alive restored said Majesty resides inside of me. Forever I believe. Forever I believe. Arrested by your truth and righteousness. Your grace is overwhelmed my brokenness. Convicted by your
us on this adventure. Have your Bibles. Turn Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. They, uh, now I love, I love specifically that song uh, because it, it gets, it makes much of Jesus in a very real, very profound way. Um, when we, when we do worship through song, the intention is not uh, that we would have a great sing-along uh, because, let's be honest, none of us sing really that well, um, but, uh, but that we would. Uh, as we prepare our, t- our hearts to open up the Word of God, that we would be um, in a right place, uh, not because of how um, of anything other than uh, we want to see Jesus more clearly every single time we gather, uh, that we want to see Jesus more clearly anytime we open uh, the Word of God. And, and so uh, as we get to respond to, to songs like that where, uh, that are very penetrating and very open about who we are in Christ because of who of what Christ has done uh, and so uh, I, I felt this morning there were some of you that were like hey I want to I want to explode this uh, and I want to encourage you to lean into that 
uh, not that you would make much of yourself or not that you would cause uh, a distraction to yourself, but that you would say, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is who Jesus is. And and I want people to know. I want the edges of the earth to know my allegiance to him and, and my worship of him because he is everything. And that's, that's where we've been uh, in the book of Hebrews, because it's very clear uh, that's the intention of the writer, right? Uh, in fact, we are approaching, uh, I guess, the runway in our return flight through the book of Hebrews. And, uh, and it's been a, a good flight, uh, but not really because of any of the uh, 26 weeks that we've spent talking in the book of Hebrews, uh, but rather the cumulative effect that, uh, that the Word has prayerfully in our lives uh, because of our willingness to walk through books of the Bible together. Uh, and, and so what I have especially loved is being able to come in each week and just simply commentate how the writer wants us to love and cherish and honor and follow Jesus. That's it. Like, it doesn't have to be very complicated. That He just says, love Jesus and allow the effect of what Jesus has done in your life to build fruit in your life so that when others see your manner of living, when others see the voice that you use, that it would be about the proclamation of the gospel, that you would make everything in your life about Jesus. In fact, he builds the first ten chapters of this book around that truth, that Jesus is greater than whatever source you're tempted to run towards for salvation. That he is greater than that. How God, um, he, he opens chapter 1, and we're not going to go through all of it, but, but he opens chapter 1 by saying how God used to speak to us through the prophets and, and through the, four, uh, the forefathers, but now he speaks to us through the Son. And, and, and his Son is the radiance of the glory of God. That he is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And and how after making purification for our sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become more superior than... And then we just spend ten chapters saying, what you got? What do you got? Like, tell me who Jesus is is more superior than. Tell me something that is more superior than than who Jesus is. And and the writer starts us uh, again, and he says, you know, in case you're wondering, Jesus is greater than, he's more superior than uh, the angels. And then he says, then Moses, then then the priest, then then he he brings a better sacrifice. He he provides a better, uh, he provides better for us by bringing a better covenant. And, And what we get from taking this journey together, is seeing how Jesus is God's word. He is God's promise. He is the hope for new creation since he serves as both our eternal priest and he offers a perfect sacrifice. And those things are so incredibly important for us to get our hearts around. And and then in chapter 11, uh, we're invited into this active role uh, by examining our faith and, and where that faith leads us, where our steps are taking us, that, that we can try to put our faith in, in a lot of places, but, but the best and the most secure way of doing life is when our faith is resting in the promises of God through Jesus. And, and so, so, so we spent these past few weeks 
uh, looking at how faith can grow into something powerful as we run this race that God has set before us. And, and we saw it through um, the witness of this, this great, the, the testimony, I should say, of this great cloud of witnesses. And, uh, and, and we saw this uh, through, uh, as we took a look at God's active role in growing us in our holiness as we introduced a word that we typically don't like, remember? Uh, we talked about how God disciplines us at times and how that discipline comes uh, and how we share the intention as always that we would share in God's holiness. And, and everything that we've read is this intention to compel us to this place in our life where, where, where we get to it, lean into the finished work of Jesus who we have every need in our life met. And so as we got to this, as we get to this last chapter of, of Hebrews, uh, you're going to get the impression that the writer had a great deal of, of miscellaneous matters uh, to discuss, and he kind of he kind of saved it uh, to the end. Or, or if he's anything like me, when you're coming to, like I, I kind of know um, our, our our level of attention in here, uh, and so for me, I know the number of pages that I can write before you guys start to kind of leave. Um, and so, so I get the sense that, that there's a good chance the writer of Hebrews is like, all right, I got to cram all of this in because I'm running out of paper, okay? And so, so what's going to feel like um, a very urgent thing is not intended to be, that, that God has inspired through the Holy Spirit the writer to bring us some great closing truths. Uh, and so where in chapter 12 we were rejoicing on, on Mount Zion, uh, well, now we're discussing like these everyday topics as like like hospitality and marriage and, and church leadership and prison and 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 next week we're going to talk through this benediction this prayer that the writer uh, gives us and in fact Warren Wearsby put it this way he says in the Bible there there's no division between doctrine and duty there there's there's no uh, division between revelation and responsibility they, they always go together and so the emphasis in this last section of the book is is on living by faith that that the writer presented the great example of faith in, in hebrews 11 and uh and the encouragements to faith in hebrews 12 and and now in hebrews 13 he's going to present the evidence of faith that should appear in our lives if we are really walking by faith and not by sight. Okay? So that, that's kind of our intention. Let's, let's stop. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that everything we got to sing this morning is absolutely true. That how you love us is true. That what you've done for us in your Son is true. That we get to respond. That we get to have joy and we get to have peace because everything that you've ever said is absolutely true. And so we pray this morning that as we walk through these verses in Hebrews 13, that we would be reminded of the truthfulness of your word. That we would lean into it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Like I said, uh, as we start chewing on chapter 13, I, I think this is going to feel like a bunch of, of miscellaneous thoughts, like, like a kitchen sink kind of being thrown at us, but if we're able to scope back just a little uh, from what's being said, I think we can find, uh, what we can find is order uh, to this seeming urgent pace 
to the end of this book. And uh, in fact, the writer gives us kind of four areas where uh, the evidence of our faith should be making an appearance. Okay, so if you say, okay, I, I, I am a believer um, and the Bible says that you're going to produce fruit that comes out of your life. He will say, here are some of the areas of your life where a fruit should be produced. Um, and now I'm not talking necessarily about uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience. I think all of those things are uh, in part what we're talking about. But he's saying in these areas of your life, there should be evidence of Jesus at work. Okay, and so so we're going to talk. There's really four of them. We're God willing, we're going to get through three of them today, uh, and then we'll get to the fourth one uh, on Sunday, uh, next Sunday. And so so as we talk about evidence of our faith from Hebrews 13, the first section of this is is enjoying spiritual fellowship. Okay, he says you know that if you're a believer, you should be enjoying spiritual fellowship. In fact, let's start in chapter 13. Uh, I say let's start in verse 1 because we haven't skipped one yet, right? All right, so he says this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Verse 4, he says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. He says, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man? So, so in this section, there, there are five areas in these six verses uh, that, that given to us as a way to examine our lives through. And so let, let's talk about each one uh, individually. And if you'd like to mark up your Bible, this would be a great place to do it. Again, it makes you look super spiritual. Uh, you can be very impressive in the office next Monday and be like, hey, look at all the things that I underline in my Bible, okay? Um, so he says the very first part, he says, as we evaluate our lives, he says, evaluate your brotherly love. Evaluate brotherly love. When we were uh, in this topic in our, uh, when we were walking through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, if you'll remember, this topic kept kind of bubbling to the surface, that we have to be able to have a genuine and a brotherly love for other believers if we expect to walk in fellowship, uh, really just with one another. And that's, that's why it's so important to seek restoration. It's why it's so important to offer forgiveness when it's, when it's necessary, and, uh, and as we read the Bible, what we find is that it's always necessary. That, that we don't pick and choose who to give forgiveness to if we are indeed forgiven for our sins in Jesus Christ. Because whatever our, the offense is that we've received will never be greater than the offense that we've given to God. And so forgiveness is always the option, and, and we can't claim to love God while at the same time hating our brothers. And I think we live in a time where, um, where spirituality and our patriotism and our, and our politics are kind of all colliding in, in one. And do you, do you understand that there are gospel-believing, Jesus-loving people at the other side from what you believe? No? No, you don't? Okay. They exist and they're there. 
And so for us to say, I hate, is an indication that we, ha- we don't fully comprehend the love of God. And so this is because in the hate, we reveal that our love for God is taking a, a secondary role in our hearts. And, and brotherly love serves as the basis for biblical spiritual fellowship. And so, so as Christians, these Hebrews um, were, were people who no doubt had been rejected by their friends and by their family for saying that they love Jesus. They're completely written out of their lives. And, and so, but, but the deepest kind of fellowship is not based on race or family or political affiliation. Uh, it's based on the spiritual life that we have in Christ. That, that the love of Christ compels us, that, that, that Jesus binds us together in perfect harmony and perfect unity in, in a church fellowship based on anything other than the love for Christ is one that will simply not last. And it won't last because of the Word of God. He says, I, I won't honor that. I, I, don't, I, don't need, uh, I don't need the show. I don't need the sacrifices. But when your heart's with me, there's a fruit, and you can evaluate that fruit by your brotherly love with one another. If you want some other places to go uh, this week to look into that, go Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Go 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-10. Go, go 1 Peter chapter 1, 22. Go 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And if you're looking at me like Michelle, come find me after. I'll gladly give you all those verses. All right? So the second evaluator, all right, he comes in and he says, um, evaluate your hospitality to strangers. Evaluate your hospitality to strangers. Because where there is true Christian love, there will also be hospitality. And sometimes we get confused because there is the gift of hospitality that the Holy Spirit will give us, but that doesn't mean that you aren't a hospitable person if you don't have that gift, right? That doesn't give you warning about, well, I don't have to be um, hospitable because it's not my spiritual gift. That's not the way it works. All it says is that some will be gifted more than others toward hospitality. So, so this was an important ministry in the early church because persecution, like literal persecution, drove many believers away from their homes. Uh, in fact, uh, also there, there were traveling ministers who needed places to stay, and, and, and many poor saints, they couldn't afford to stay at an inn, and since churches mainly met in homes, it was natural for a visitor to just stay with the host. And, and I especially love the last half of verse 2, uh, because as it says, there are people who show hospitality um, who were unaware that they're entertaining angels. And you can go, there's some places in the Old Testament you can go where people are entertaining angels and they have no idea. Uh, and I think there, there's two ways. Uh, this can mean a few different things. I think, for one, they could literally be entertaining angels uh, sent by God. Uh, I think that's entirely possible. Um, or I think it could also mean a broader term in that the word angel simply means messenger. Uh, and, and so either way, uh, we, we keep in mind, what we keep in mind is that in our blessing of hospitality, we are putting on display the love that we've received from God. It's a pouring out. It's an offering. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. And His blessing, it flows through us and it follows our willingness to be hospitable. Let's go to the third section. The third evaluator is that we would um, support oppressed believers. That we would visit them in prison, that we would, uh, I think, love expresses itself in concern. 
It always does. And so, so it was not unusual for Christians in this time to be arrested and imprisoned for their faith. And, and so to identify with these prisoners might have been dangerous, yet Christ's uh, love demanded a ministry to them. And so, so to minister to, to, Christian, to a Christian prisoner in the name of Christ is to minister to Christ himself. Okay, you can go Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 36 for that. And so, now, in, in our country, right, uh, we are not typically arrested for our religious beliefs, at least at, least at the moment, uh, and that's not a political thing, that's just to say, you, I just don't know. But, but in our country, we don't get arrested for our religious beliefs, but there are other parts of this world where believers right now greatly and grossly suffer for their faith. They suffer for it. And, and how we need to pray for them and, and how we need to share with them as the Lord enables us. That this isn't a book written to those people. This is a book written for us to respond to. Um, the next evaluator, the writer says, hold your marriage with honor. That, that honor is held in our marriage. And I think, I think the home is the first place where Christian love should be practiced, and it's the first place where Christian love should be experienced. And, and though I don't, I don't believe every believer holds a mandate that they must be married in order to be a Christian, I think the writer simply comes in and he says, listen, if you are married, okay, if you are married, your marriage should be an expression of your faith working through your treatment of others, specifically one another. That, that in short, what he says is that loyalty and purity should be uh, not just expected in the marriage, but it should be prioritized. Like there should be choices that we make where we say, I'm intentionally wanting to show my loyalty. I'm intentionally wanting to show my purity in my marriage. And so, so he uses this example of sex, uh, about being sexually immoral and um, and so sex outside of marriage is sinful and it's destructive and, and sex within marriage and inside the protective bonds of marriage can be enriching and, and glorifying to God. That, that God is not blind to our defilement of the marriage bed. And here we're reminded of judgment. And, and now, not because God is mean, uh, not because God wants to break you, uh, but because he longs for you to experience the blessing of a holy marriage. And, and in these days, we've become very desensitized to the damaging effects of, of sexual sin. We have. In fact, it's paraded in front of us in, in all forms of entertainment. You can talk about movies. You can talk about uh, television. You can talk about music. It's all paraded. And, and we need uh, what we need to do is take a hard look at how we're being shaped either by the word or by the world. And so, so God longs for us to be husbands and wives who understand that our marriages are saying something to the rest of the world about the gospel of Jesus. Um, and then the last evaluator, he talks about a life of contentment. He says, says if we love God and we love others as we should, then we will have a right relationship with material things. And that times of suffering can either be times of selfishness or times of service. And it's not easy to give away when our grips hold on tightly to the wrong things for the wrong 
read it. And so, so we get this instruction to, to not love uh, money and to be content with what we have. And here's the hard truth for some of us to hear. Contentment cannot come from material things because they never fully satisfy our hearts. Only God does that. Only God. And so this is why Jesus, is in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and why it's important to our, for our hearts to hear when Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all kind of covetousness. That's the way you say the word. Never say it any other way than that one. Um, because he says this, he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so as Christians, it it is possible to be content, not because of what we have, but rather because of whose we are. And the more our trust in God's provision is experienced, the more willing uh, we become to rest in in whatever he provides. I heard it said this way. uh, Ask a millionaire, uh, how how many millions does it take for them to be content? And the response is typically just a million more than what they have. And, and, And I think that's, Part of a life of contentment is knowing I'm not, my identity isn't in my stuff. My identity is in, if we're believers, in who we are, in whose we are. So, so these next two sections, they won't take uh, as long to cover, uh, but, but they're nonetheless, they're, they're, more, they're still incredibly important. So he says, says, okay, when you look at your life, as you examine your life, understand that you should be enjoying spiritual fellowship. And then secondly, he says you should be submitting to spiritual leadership okay so he says this in verse 7 remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of god consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith verse 8 jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those uh, devoted to them. Verse 17, obey, we're going to jump, we'll come back to verse 10 in a minute. Uh, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as as those who will have to give an account. Uh, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so let's let's talk about it, because there's a few ways for us to kind of interact uh, with this evidence of our growing faith. And, and really, whichever way we want to interact with it, it's going to bring to us the importance of submitting uh, to spiritual authority that God establishes in our lives. And now, granted, as a society, uh, we, we tend to have a, an allergic reaction to authority, but that's really typically only because we've only seen authority at times abusive, be abusive. Uh, and really, that abuse is much too frequent in our modern day. And, and I think as I say that, that's probably old man Gary talking, um, because my suspicion is no matter what stage of life we've ever been in, we've always seen the abuse of power. And so, so when the writer says to remember your leaders, he, he could be suggesting that these leaders were dead somehow. And he says, remember them. Remember those who, who have gone before you, or perhaps they were martyred uh, and they should not be forgotten, or uh, he could be referring to the leaders of, of their biblical communities uh, who had an active role right then in, uh, in their spiritual development. And so, so for either, he says, to simply imitate their faith. 
and that, that the primary role of biblical leaders is to preach and to teach God's word. And, it, and their lives should reflect the word that's being taught. There should not be a contradiction in between the teaching and the living. And so it's a high and it's a serious calling. And this is why uh, verse 8 and verse 9 come to us as a gift. Uh, because uh, what they do is they, they put our eyes on Jesus and reminds us how he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, so the faith that we're being encouraged to imitate will be the same faith that Jesus has modeled, and we will know when we've departed from that path any time we follow a strange teaching that doesn't look like Jesus. Doesn't look like Jesus. So, so then in, in verse 17, we're instructed to, to obey our leaders and to submit, and when a, when a servant of God is in the will of God teaching the word of God, this submission and this obedience should come, um, but, but does not mean that the pastor should be a dictator. Shouldn't be. Now, I love the willingness of the writer to say, let me talk to you pastors uh, about, about your responsibility. Because it doesn't mean that pastors should be dictators. And again, this can be a hard instruction for some because um, perhaps you've been wounded by church leaders in the past. Uh, and, and, and one day, what the Bible says is that every pastor will have to give an account for their ministry to the Lord and the writer says that we should want to do this with joy. So if, if some of you guys could just clean up your social media pages, it helped me a lot. A lot less groaning. Um, Somebody's like, <laughs> that's true about me, though. Um, and I think, I think it's, it's a strange feeling uh, to stand here and to tell you that the Bible says you should do these things because, uh, because honestly, th- there are times I worry about uh, my, my own ability, and I worry about my qualifications to lead us. Uh, and now that's not, that's between me and God, okay? Uh, and, and that's not intended to elicit uh, anything from you as, as a means of support. Uh, I, I, I feel deeply loved here, uh, and I can't believe I get to do, uh, I get to serve in this way, okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying anything uh, to the contrary there. Uh, but, but I think I would like to say that, that um, what the Word is telling you to put into your heart is that you shouldn't blindly trust and you shouldn't blindly believe the word of pastors. You shouldn't. Uh, in fact, it should all be held against the word of God. That's um, Our elders here, they have a biblical responsibility to hold me accountable to the word because there are times, um, and I think there are many churches um, out there where strange and diverse teachings are running loose and it does a great damage. Okay, so you're not told to just come in here and blindly trust whatever I say. You're supposed to say whatever teaching that comes out of this pulpit, regardless of who it is, you should go to the Word and say, okay, is that being held accountable to it? Uh, Because there is a source of truth, and it's not me. And so am I responding to the Word correctly or not? Uh, And so so I say that because it's important. This is why it's it's so important. It's why verses 8 and 9 are so uh, important to us and why it's such a gift because it says just look to Jesus because He never changes. He doesn't change. There's never a moment that we'll come in for the rest of our lives if we are putting our trust and our hope in Jesus where we say, well, it's 2020, so things are different these days. Uh, It's not the way it works. Jesus has never changed. God's truthfulness to us has never changed. God's provision for us has never changed, and it never will because he has told us it won't. 
And so, so this is why it's so important that, that while you imitate faith, that the fruit of Jesus, uh, the fruit of what Jesus does is evident. And so if not, then, then you need to be under a biblical covering where it is. Yeah, that's so true. So, so the evidence of our faith from Hebrews 13 so far, we would enjoy spiritual fellowship, we would submit to spiritual leadership, and then thirdly, we would share in spiritual worship. We would share in spiritual worship. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We could spend a month just, just on every morsel of that verse alone. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And now I don't know, I don't even know exactly the context there. It seems like there was possibly some words said about whoever's writing uh, this letter to the Hebrews uh, and that, that he needs to make a defense for. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that here uh, more in just a second. This is probably the most densest portion of this passage. Uh, and so let, let's try to cut through some of it. A, a Jewish person, okay, a Jewish person under the old covenant could point to the temple. So that's where we believe God is. And so, but a Christian has a, as we've been talking, has a, a heavenly sanctuary that can never be destroyed. We said this at the end of our time last week, uh, that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. And so, so the Jews were proud of the city of Jerusalem, but a Christian has an eternal city that we, is called the New Jerusalem. What the Jews at this time don't realize that in a matter of years, their entire city is coming to a crumble. It's about to be destroyed. Rome is about to just overtake them. And so when the writer tells us that we have an altar, he's not suggesting a material altar on the earth, for, for that would contradict the whole message of, of this epistle. The, the, in the Old Testament sanctuary, there were a couple of altars. One of them was called the brazen altar, uh, and, and that's where the place of, of, of offering blood sacrifices were done. And then you had this golden altar that stood before the veil, um, which when Jesus dies, the veil that separates us from the presence of God was torn in two. But they had this altar on the outside that, uh, where they would burn incense, and it was this, this picture of prayer ascending to God. And for us in this new covenant, our altar is simply Jesus what he is so so, so it's, it's through him that we offer our spiritual sacrifices to god and and the the writer gives us three places that we are offering spiritual sacrifices uh as christians and the first one is that we would um that we would offer a continual praise 
to God in verse 15. A continual praise. The word uh, of praise from our lips coming from our hearts is it's like this beautiful fruit that's being laid on an altar. And how easy it is for suffering saints to complain, but how important it is for them to give thanks to God in all circumstances, in every single circumstance. And then secondly, he would say, as we give spiritual sacrifices, we would, we would offer a sacrifice of good works of sharing. And this would, this would certainly include the hospitality that, that we've kind of already addressed back in, in verse 2, as, as well as the ministry to prisoners in verse 3, that, that doing good can just simply cover a multitude of ministries, sharing food with the needy, transporting people to and from church or other places, sharing money, perhaps uh, just being a helpful neighbor. This is all part of a spiritual sacrifice that we give, because let's be honest, giving can be hard for us, right? That holding on to what we have, either as a sense of security or just a sense of entitlement, can be a difficult process. And the Word will say, you're always pouring yourself out because of the gospel. Always. And then thirdly, the sacrifice that that we give is just an engagement in prayer. We would be engaging in prayer. It's it's no stretch to believe that that the people of God uh, would be a people of prayer. That that prayer is a, a sacrifice of placing our hopes and our desires, our petitions and our sins at the altar of Jesus as we seek to walk in repentance as a community. That's the practice of prayer. And it's, it's my firm belief that when the church fails it, uh, when the church um, falls, it's almost always because they've abandoned prayer. They've removed God from the equation. And then they begin relying on their own abilities. So we, we can start wrapping this up, Tom. Let's go back just real briefly. Verse 15. Through him, let us, and what's the word? Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And isn't that a continual question that we bring either in ourselves or with other people? What would please God? What do you want from me? And the hard part is when the Bible makes it painfully clear. When they give us, and I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, hey, here's ten simple steps to uh, a better life, because I don't think it necessarily works out that way. But here you have some things that you can say, is that part of who I am? Am I a hospitable person? Am I a person who walks in brotherly love? Am I a person who, who submits to, to spiritual leadership? Do I bring sacrifices of praise to God? Do I just tell Him how great He is? Not because I want something in return, because, by the way, He sees through that, right? Anytime you want to try to butter up God, it doesn't work because He sees right through that. Just like when, when our kids decide they want to try to butter us up, we're like, what do you really want? Right? So we bring 
these sacrifices to him. And so, so we come back, we come back to Jesus, which the, the book of Hebrews has continually said, consider him. Consider Jesus. Come back to who Jesus is. And so Jesus is the son who brings us together. That, that he makes our lives fruitful so that we can walk with one another in ways that build each other up. And now, now what occurs to me in this moment is that, that when we are walking with Jesus, others, um, when we're walking with Jesus, we don't have to, to muster up the strength to spend time with other people. And then secondly, when we're walking with Jesus the way that we should be, Others don't have to muster up the strength to put up with us. Okay? They don't. Because when people see Jesus living through our lives, they're attracted to that. They walk and they explore and they, they through our lives, get to hear the, the invitation of Jesus. Understanding that before Jesus ever told anybody to to believe in me, he just says, follow me. And so the movement of our lives become about just walking and letting people see who Jesus is, who doesn't change from yesterday, today, or forever. And so I I I, I, I struggle at times because I think Christians get a bad rap. And I think there's probably a huge amount of responsibility on our behalf of why we get this bad rap. That that when people, when we see people who live in joy, we want to be around them. And so what does it say about our society when they look at a Christian and they say, I don't want to be around you at all. And I think either one of two things are at play. Either A, their hearts will never be the Lord's, and they walk away. And it's one of the most depressing scenes in all of the book of John where it says these people got to see Jesus, and they got to hear Jesus speak, and they walk away because of the the demands of Jesus. All of me for all of you. And they say it's too hard. So I think that's possible. But I think mainly the other reason is because we have not shown a faith in Jesus that is joyful. We've not lived and modeled peace in our day with our people. We've not lived as the light to the world as we should have. And so what we've been given this morning is a gift. To say, examine your life. Evaluate your life. And where you find yourself failing, you don't just muster up the strength to, to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. You press into Jesus. And you look at the way he lives, and you rely on his strength to do those things. Our desire this week is to love God by. Let's pray. Father, my desire today is that our time through your word would be pleasing to you. Our desire is that that if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't know your son, that they would. Uh, at least start to explore asking those questions. That they would find someone here to to talk with and to
take that next step in life with you. Father, I pray if there's those of us here who just need prayer today, that they would find someone to pray with, that we would be a people who share each other's burdens. Father, we thank you for your son, that we can always come back to the fact that he doesn't change. We love you. In Jesus' name.